Uh, good afternoon, uh, everyone. Uh, my name is Ben, uh, and I'm one of uh, the EU staff team. I work mainly with international students uh, in EU Focus, uh, the EU's ministry amongst international students. Uh, let me add my welcome to you. It's great to see you all here exploring this topic with the EU in this festival kind of season. Uh, so let me ask, are you longing for money? Are you longing for money? Uh, hopefully you got a, a gold coin when you came in. Now when you got that gold coin, did part of you, maybe just a small part of you, think, gee, I wish this were real, <laughs> like real gold? Or perhaps, perhaps as I would have been if I'd got one, I didn't get one for some reason, anyway. Um, or were you just happy for the chocolate? Like I, I would be, I think. Are you longing for money? Now, the reality is, I think in our culture, here in Australia, lots of us are longing for money. And I think that's why uh, things like, you know those annoying spam emails you get um, about how to get rich without basically doing anything, how you can make you know $5,000 a week from the comfort of your own home without lifting a finger, it seems. I think that's why those spam emails exist, is because... You know, for a lot of us, we long for money. I think that's also why something like Lotto Land works. Have you heard of Lotto Land? Uh, well, see, not only now do we have Lotto and Powerball and all the lotteries you can enter by tickets for in Australia, but you can actually bet online through something like Lotto Land on overseas lotteries. So you can bet on the uh, American Lotto, um, and they have something called Mega Millions over there. You can bet on that too, or the American Powerball. Now, I imagine this, is, this probably isn't something you expected to hear about at an EU public meeting, um, Lotto Land. And I must admit, when I was doing some research um, in the multi-faith chaplaincy centre, I did get some concerned looks from colleagues. Kind <laughs> <laughs> looked at me. And I'm, look, let me clear, I'm not endorsing any of these lotteries or gambling in any form. Uh, but I think Lotto Land, in its popularity, you know, in March, they reported that they had 650,000 registered customers across Australia. And just the other night, I saw, I saw an ad on TV uh, for a lot of land, and they've now got 700,000. Um, so just five months later, they've grown to 50,000 in five months. And not to mention how many people are actually entering Australian lotteries. Well, I think it shows that we do long for money. Are you longing for money? So let's let's get real for a second. Um, isn't that why you enroll at Sydney Uni if you can get in? Which all of you have, obviously. Isn't that why we're doing a degree here, so that you can, you know, get the good job, get the good salary, have good prospects for promotion in wherever you end up working, for more responsibility and opportunities. And yes, it's true. As you know, one of the uh, uni's PR campaigns. You know that one that was all about leadership for good? Um, yeah, and I think that's great. You know, I'm all for leadership for good, uh, making a difference in the world. I mean, it's, it's a lot better than, say, leadership for evil or something like that. Uh, but as you take your city uni degree and take your place in your job and, you know, try to make the difference in the world, as you start climbing that corporate ladder, you will get paid more and more. That's just the reality. You'll get more money. 
Isn't that at least part of why we're here? But why do we long for money? Why do we long for money? Well, I think there are two reasons why we long for money. The first one is security. And the second reason is for pleasure. So first, security. Uh, financial security. I think that's, that's one reason why we long for money. Now, if you like, this is your responsible side talking here, or perhaps you're channeling your parents, um, particularly if you've got Asian parents, I think. Uh, you're channeling what your parents want for you. You think about financial security. We long for money because we're told that it promises security. Uh, you know, that's what superannuation is all about, having enough money uh, to live on when you retire. That's why we're told to earn and save and, and kind of build up a deposit on a property, maybe first an apartment, and then you flip that and buy a house, and then you're set. Money allows you to be secure, to know that you'll have enough, that you and your family will be provided for with you know, food and clothing and shelter. And you won't be dependent upon anyone else. You won't be a burden to other people. Now, recently, my, my wife and I, we went to see a financial advisor. It felt like a very grown-up thing to do. Uh, and it's a big thing, you know, feeling that weight of, of uh, making sure that my, my wife and I and our three kids are well provided for into the future. It's a weighty thing to consider. And our culture pushes us, I think, to try to take control over that. You know, we have things like income protection insurance and life insurance and all these other products which help us to try and take control over what's going to happen in the future, to prepare for a, a rainy day, to give ourselves security, financial security. You know, but why stop with our needs? What about what I want? What about what gives me pleasure? I think that's where the second reason comes in, why we long for money, pleasure. We long for money because with money we can have fun, we can... Uh, be comfortable, enjoy ourselves, and experience all that we want to in the world. And money means we can travel overseas, see the world, experience exciting things in exotic places, you know, embark on our crazy adventures, uh, whether it's you know, running with the bulls in Pamplona in Spain, uh, skiing at Whistler, if that's your thing, or uh, skydiving off glaciers in New Zealand. Money means we can eat fine food and uh, you know, pay for our phones for the Instagram accounts that kind of document it for the world to see. Uh, money means we can enjoy ourselves. We can do what we want, when we want, with whoever we want to. We long for money for security. But does money deliver? We long for money for pleasure. But does it satisfy? Now, in the part of the Bible that Declan uh, read out earlier, it, it comes from chapter 10 of Mark's biography of Jesus. Uh, in this episode of Mark's story of Jesus' life, uh, there's an eager man. Uh, now, we know from uh, some of the other biographies of Jesus' life that he's a young man. This eager young man runs up to Jesus and practically bowls him over with his enthusiasm and excitement. This guy runs up to Jesus with a burning question that he needs an answer to. Uh, he's so keen, uh, but at the same time, he's respectful. 
As he comes to Jesus, he falls at Jesus' feet, kneels before him, and asks him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, what is he actually asking here? What, what is he asking? What must I do to inherit eternal life? That's a burning question for him, and indeed for us all. You see, I think this man's question shows that he too longs for security in many ways. Longs, and he's longing for perhaps not pleasure, but at least a full and fulfilling life that will guarantee uh, his eternal inheritance. So he's longing for security, but with an even longer perspective than perhaps most of us are thinking. He's thinking about eternity, you know, how he can secure his life in eternity. How can I ensure that I'll have a comfortable life after death? He's not worried about retirement. He's thinking about inheritance in the life to come, life after death. Now, see, he's longing for a secure inheritance in that life. Um, so while the perspective might be a bit longer, it's the same longing a longing for security. You know, in many ways, we could say that this man has a fear of missing out. So this was like two millennia ago. But he has FOMO, this guy. Again, with a longer perspective in mind than perhaps our, our fears of missing out. But he has FOMO about eternal life. Uh, he's afraid that he might miss out on that future eternal inheritance. So he wants to make sure that he's living life now so that he'll get it. And he won't miss out there. So he asked Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So how does Jesus respond? Well, did you notice that Jesus did critique his longings? Instead, Jesus picks up on how the man addresses him. So there in the little number, verse 18 there, Jesus says, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. So Jesus focuses on good, affirming that God alone is good. And God's told humanity how to, in a sense, live a good life in his law, in the commandments. And he quotes, there are six of the Ten Commandments. Okay, so how does the man respond to this? Well, he basically says to Jesus, nailed it. I've nailed those commandments. Look at verse 20. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Now, if you think about it, that's a pretty un-Australian response right, to Jesus here. Uh, to, to just say, yep, well, the commandments, nailed them. I'm all over it. You name the commandments, tick, done. So he's pretty arrogant and self-assured, and we don't like that as Australians. I think if you know if Jesus were Australian, well, perhaps, if, well, I know, like I'm Australian, right? And I think if I'd heard that, I would have, you know, called this guy on his brash self-reliance. You know, I mean, I'd say something to him like. Oh, you think you've kept all these commandments since you were a boy. So there was never a time when even in your heart you kind of resented something your parents asked you to do. Never once. 
But see then, I know that deep down, I don't keep the commandments. Uh, so this man's bold declaration is, is threatens me. And I need to, you know, in an Australian way, knock him down to my level at least, if not lower than me. So perhaps because Jesus always did keep God's commandments, he, he always obeyed God, perhaps because of Jesus' obedience, he didn't need to respond in that way. Uh, instead, he responds in this way, verse 21. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus doesn't judge or condemn this man. He doesn't try to cut him down to size. No, Jesus looks at this man. He sees his earnest longing to secure eternal life. He sees his deep longing to live a full and satisfying life, which enables him to inherit eternal life. And Jesus' heart just swells with love for him. Jesus loves him. He wants him to have what he desires, for his longings to be fulfilled, to have the security and fullness of life, to know that he will receive eternal life. Jesus looked at him and loved him. And so Jesus tells him what he needs to do. Uh, Verse 21 again. One thing you lack, he said, go, sell everything you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Just one thing, just one thing you need to do. Give up everything you have, and come and follow me. But then we get the tragic climax of this episode. In verse 22, at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. He can't do it. He just can't do it. He can't let go of his wealth to follow Jesus. He's so close, so close to having what he longs for, so close to possessing that security that he desires, so close to having assurance of the life which will guarantee his eternal inheritance but he just can't do it. And the tragedy of this man's plight is not lost on Jesus. As the man goes away, Jesus, verse 23, looked round and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, this is news to Jesus' disciples, to Jesus' uh, closest followers there. They're gobsmacked. But Jesus just amps up. He goes on in verse 24, The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? See, they're shocked. See, if the rich, the important, the powerful in that society, if the significant people with high status can't be saved, then who can? What hope for the rest of us? What hope for anyone, indeed? 
But again, Jesus sees their anxiety and he reassures them. In verse 27, Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Yes, it's true, Jesus says. It's true that it's impossible for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Yes, it's true, Jesus says. It's impossible for the rich to enter God's kingdom on their own, by their own effort. But not for God. It's not impossible for God to bring a rich person, a poor person, anyone into his kingdom because anything is possible for God. God can do anything. God can change a person's heart to let go of their riches, to follow Jesus into eternal life in God's kingdom. God can do it. But the disciples are still rattled by this episode, by the tragedy of this rich man and Jesus' comments on it. And Peter pipes up in verse 28. He says, we've, we've left everything to follow you. And you can almost hear the echo behind his question. Was it all for nothing? But Jesus, Jesus reassures him, verse 29, Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, and along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. Yes, Jesus says, you've left everything to follow you. And it is worth it. In God's kingdom, you have a family. You you share in everything that that family has. Homes, property, relationships. There's the security true security of being a child of God. And through his people, his family, through the Christian community, you get a hundredfold of what you gave up. Now, if you give up one house to follow Jesus, then you have a hundred homes of other followers of Jesus that you're welcoming. You know, back in the 1990s, um, this does show my age, sorry, anyway, back in the 1990s, I was involved in a uh, scripture Union family mission, uh, sometimes called beach missions, up at Walgulga on the New South Wales north coast. It's just north of Coffs Harbour. Uh, so we drive up each year on Boxing Day, just after Christmas. We set up tents in a caravan park there and run holiday programs for the kids um, and, and try to share with them about Jesus. Now, while we were there, there was a local family, um, Christians, they attended, I think, the Presbyterian church up there. And they welcomed a few of us into their home. And they really treated us like one of the family there. We, we played with their kids, uh, you know, did lots of dress-ups and stuff. I think there's some embarrassing photos of me floating around somewhere <laughs> from that time. I uh, enjoyed a delicious home-cooked meal with them and just hung out together. Now, it really was, you know, in a time where we were away from our families, like being welcomed into another home as one of the family, gaining a new mother, a new set of sisters, and a new father, even a new home there. So Jesus says, whatever you give up for me and for the gospel, God will provide a hundredfold in the Christian community. Uh, Through God's family in this life, 
and you'll be welcomed into his eternal kingdom in the next. Now that's true security. That's a bigger vision to live for. But how is this possible for God? How could God do what humans can't on our own? How is it that God could bring people into his kingdom? Well, the answer lies in where Jesus is going. See, in this story, Jesus says to this man, follow me. And as Peter says, that's what he and the disciples have been doing. They've been following Jesus. But where is Jesus going then? Well, that is what Jesus himself addresses next. Uh, There in verse 33. For he says to the disciples, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man, now that's a term from the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible, that Jesus liked to use to refer to himself. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They'll condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles. They'll mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. So Jesus is going to Jerusalem to suffer, die, and rise again. That's how God will do what we simply cannot. That's how God will bring people into his kingdom. How God will enable even the rich to give up everything to follow Jesus into his eternal kingdom. See, it would take nothing less than Jesus' death in our place, paying the penalty for our rejection of God's rule over our lives, taking the punishment that we deserve for seeking security and pleasure in anything other than God, money or anything else. That's what it costs for us to come into God's kingdom, God's family. Nothing less than the death of Jesus. But it was possible for God, and God showed that he could do it, that it was possible for him to give those who follow Jesus eternal life by raising Jesus to life. As Jesus said, God did raise him to life on the third day, showing that he can give eternal life to all who trust in and follow Jesus. See, when Jesus looked at that rich man and loved him, it wasn't just a a platitude. It wasn't just words. It wasn't just empty emotion. No, Jesus looked at him and loved him, knowing that he was heading to Jerusalem to suffer and die and rise again for him. And still today, Jesus looks at us and loves us. Jesus looks at at me and looks at you and loves you. And he showed that love by suffering, dying and rising again for you. Now, last year I spent um, quite a bit of time working with uh, one of the student leaders in EU Focus. Uh, We met pretty much each week of semester to kind of chat and read the Bible together. Um, Now, he he became a Christian back in first year, so about four years ago now. Uh, For him, it was a real struggle with, uh, he's from a philosophical kind of background. He really did think hard through whether this was true and uh, before he committed himself to become a Christian. But he did become a Christian. 
Now, none of his family are Christians, and they do find it hard to understand. That's not been easy for him, especially as he's moved from pursuing uh, before his life was geared towards academic success. Uh, you know, getting a good job uh, so that he could earn the money and prestige that that would bring. But he switched from focusing on that to, to following Jesus, spending more and more time not on things which would advance his career prospects, but on things which would help grow God's kingdom, on helping other people, international students, hear about Jesus. And that's created tension in his relationship with his parents. It's not been easy for him. But at the same time, God's been providing for him. Uh, he started uh, dating a Christian woman who was also um, leading an EU focus. And as he's gotten to know her and her mother as well, who's also a Christian, they've been a, a wonderful support and encouragement to him. Uh, he spends quite a bit of time there on weekends in their home, just hanging out. And it's as if God's provided a, another family for him. It's still not easy. He's still struggling to follow Jesus first, to kind of still struggling almost daily to not pursue academic success and money and the prestige. Uh, at times it seems for him like he's, it's a constant battle against 18, 19 years of family and selective school kind of conditioning. But slowly and surely, God is changing his heart, reorienting his desires to seek God's kingdom and glory first, to follow Jesus. To follow Jesus, who saw him longing for money, saw him longing for the security and life that money, money promised, he's struggling to follow the Jesus who saw him and loved him. Loved him so much that he suffered, died, and rose again for him. So are you longing for money? Are you longing for the security, the, the pleasure that money promises? Well, Jesus sees you. And Jesus loves you. And Jesus says to you, Come, follow me. Follow me. Leave everything else behind and follow me. Live for me. And in the Christian community, God will provide a hundredfold, whatever you leave behind. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, fields. Follow me and you'll have the true security of God's provision as your father. And in the end, God owns everything. You'll have the, the true security of physical, spiritual and relational needs abundantly met in God's family as God's beloved child. Follow me, Jesus says, and you'll have the true pleasure and fulfillment of living not for your own fleeting momentary desires, not of chasing the, the next adrenaline rush, pursuing the next thrilling experience, but the true and lasting pleasure and privilege of living for the God of the universe who is bringing all things together under his King, Jesus Christ. And you'll enjoy life in his kingdom forever. Now, uh, C.S. Lewis, a, a 20th century 
uh, English Christian writer. Uh, he's the author of the Chronicles of Narnia. C.S. Lewis wrote in an address, uh, during World War II was a kind of critical time, in an address called The Weight of Glory, uh, he wrote this. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Are you making mud pies when you could be swimming at the beach? So the king who looked at this rich young man and loved him, the king who looks at each of us and loves us, the king who looks at you and loves you, the king who went willingly, lovingly to Jerusalem to suffer, die and rise again for you, so you could come into God's family and enjoy eternal life. This king says, come, follow me. Now perhaps you're here and and you do want to start following Jesus. Maybe you've been brought along by someone in the EU and you realize, yes, I want to start following Jesus. Uh, Well then, please come and talk with me or perhaps with Declan. Or if you were invited by a friend in the EU, then you might want to talk to them. We'd all love to help you start following Jesus, even today. Or perhaps you're here as you've been listening and you have more questions still. You want to find out more about Jesus. Or perhaps please go back to euconnect.me and write a comment, you know, something like investigate Jesus. And we'll organize someone to, to read one of the biographies of Jesus with you and chat through your questions with you. But please, if you're interested at all, or you want to start following Jesus, then do something about it today. In this story, Jesus looked at that man and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Don't go away, Sam. Follow Jesus. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you that Jesus loved us so much that he suffered, died and rose again so we can enter your kingdom and enjoy eternal life as your children. Please help each of us to give up chasing money or anything else and to follow Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.